Some young kids were asked to describe God. How do you imagine that they described God? There were some pretty interesting descriptions there. One kid said that God is is like a superhero with really cool hair. Another said, God is a guy with a beard and really big ears. And another said, he's a person who throws lightning bolts and he grins when he does it. I don't know where they got that, do you? I don't know where any of that comes from. But let me ask you a question. How would you describe God? Given the assignment to, to describe God, could you do it in a word? Could you do it in a short phrase? I got to tell you that that's probably not a totally easy assignment to describe God simply. But the Bible gives us the essential information about God. And today we want to simply talk about the God that we serve and try to understand more about him. I hope we can do that in, in, in simple, understandable terms. Thanks for being here today. We appreciate you very much. We don't have the, the most pleasant weather today right here in Murray, Murray County, Middle Tennessee, but we are blessed to be able to be together to worship God. And we're thankful that you're here to be a part of it. As we studied in our class here in the auditorium this morning, this is a way that we encourage one another. And it's a great blessing to be able to assemble and to draw that strength from one another. Ultimately, our priority is to worship and glorify God in heaven. We pray He will be pleased with all that we do today. Thanks to everybody for being here. Thanks especially to our visitors. What about the God that we serve? Well, first, let's talk about some of the more almost incomprehensible aspects of his being. For instance, the scripture tells us that he is eternal. And that's that's the thing that we really have trouble understanding because our existence is all bound up in time. Uh, uh, how old are you? Uh, when will you be here? H- how long will it take? So much of our existence is... is focused on time respects, but not God. God is not limited in time at all. He is eternal. And I I really believe that's a a concept that's difficult in a a way for us to to grasp. But in Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so from everlasting to everlasting denotes the eternal nature of God. There was never any point when God did not exist, nor will there ever be a point in the future when God will cease to exist. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal God. He is also omnipresent. You know, here's another limiting factor of our human existence. We even have an expression, don't you? You know, somebody said, well, you were supposed to do this. And maybe you excuse yourself by saying, well, it can't be two places at the same time. Have you ever, have you ever said that? You know, somebody said, well, you were supposed to, well, I can't be two places. God can. God can be two places at the same time. In fact, God can be all places all the time. Notice in Psalm 139, beginning verse 7, where Ben read to us earlier, 
Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. God is everywhere, all the time. So not only is he eternal, but he's omni or all, everywhere, present. He is also omnipotent. I remember when our kids were little, uh, maybe they would break a toy, you know. Toys just wear out, you know. But if it was a particularly favorite toy they had, oh, you, you can expect what they're going to do. They're going to bring it to you and say, Dad, fix this for me. This needs fixed. And sometimes you can fix it, but sometimes you can't. And sometimes I just had to tell the kids, you know, well, that's not possible. That can't be fixed. And so, as, as humans, we have to say that sometimes. We're not able. We're not capable of a lot of things that we're not able to do. But not God. God is omnipotent, omnipowerful. We say it, omnipotent. God is omnipotent. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are invisible. Notice, what we see not made out of things which are visible. God didn't just take some things that were already here and fashion them or make them differently. You know, uh, we all appreciate Gordon's carpentry skills, and he can go he can go and buy some lumber, and he can take it to his shop, and he can make some beautiful cabinets out of that. But he can't. He he has to go get the lumber first. He can make the cabinets, but he can't make them out of nothing. God made everything out of nothing. The Latin expression for that is that you might hear from time to time is ex nihilo, out of nothing. God made all that we see in the physical universe. That's how powerful God is. That's an incredible thing when we think of God's omnipotence. And then, of course, we talk about his omniscience. What we mean here is that he knows everything. You remember when you were a kid and and you really actually sometimes thought that your mom had eyes in the back of her head? She always seemed to know what you were up to. She always seemed to be aware of what you were doing. Moms are like that. Moms know a lot, but moms don't know everything. God knows everything. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He really does know everything. In Hebrews 4, verse 13, it says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Nothing hidden from God. He knows everything. And so here, here's some things, some really awesome characteristics of God. I, I, I believe in a sense it's a little bit hard for us to, to fully comprehend all of that, because it's so different from us, so different from our mortal existence. He's eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. But the Bible also describes not only his, his being, but his character. And there's some things we know about God's character. And one is that he is a loving God. Notice in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us, God is love. I, I told you earlier, it might be hard to find a one-word description for God, but actually there it is, isn't it? God is love. That's the one-word description we were challenging you about earlier. And if you had said that, 
you, I think you would have said it based upon this verse and you would have been absolutely right. Everything about God's character can fit into this realm of God's love for us. God is love. Now that love is seen in, in, in a number of different ways. For instance, we see God's love in His compassion and His mercy. God is compassionate and merciful. It would be easy to think that a God like we just described earlier, He's everywhere, He knows everything, He has all power. It'd be easy to think that a God like that, any being like that who had that kind of power, could be overbearing and oppressive to us lower beings. We're obviously lower beings than God. And he is in such high elevated status. And he's so powerful. And he's going to really put it on us. He's going to be mean and ugly. And he's going to be overbearing and oppressive to us. He's not. He is absolutely not. He's compassionate and merciful. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Notice, I think this is really an amazing statement, don't you? He waits on high to have compassion on you. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it just absolutely incredible that this God of heaven is like that? I tell you, we need to be grateful for this God and that he is such a compassionate and merciful God. He's also a gracious God. Another word that we would use is gracious. Remember the definition of grace. Grace is the idea that we are given good things from God that we absolutely do not deserve. We haven't done anything to earn them, but God blesses us anyway. And in that sense, he is truly a great, gracious God. In Psalm 86, verse 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. Well, there's our word gracious. And again, so the idea of grace is you get what you don't deserve. And we have so many blessings from God that we absolutely don't deserve. There's another word here that, that is also a part of the description. God merciful. So grace means you get what you don't deserve. Mercy means you don't get what you do deserve. So his, in his mercy, he does not give us what we deserve. What we deserve is to be ultimately punished for our sins. He doesn't give us. In his mercy, he doesn't give us that. In his grace, he bestows salvation upon us through his son, Jesus Christ. Both things are absolutely critical to us, vital and necessary. God is a gracious and merciful God. We know that God is long-suffering and patient. I'll tell you about myself, and my guess is I'd be describing you as well to, in varying degrees, but, but we are the kind of people that, wouldn't you have to say that our patience wears thin at times? Now, you may be more patient than me. You may be able to endure longer than me. But my guess is that for all of us, there's a breaking point at some point. You will finally wear through my patience, right? Our patience wears thin. We can only take it. For so long. Not God. God is a long-suffering and patient God. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any per- to perish, but that all to come 
but for all to come to repentance. I want to tell you something. I need that, don't you? I need God to be patient with me. If God was the kind of being that we often are, wherein we, we wear our patience, wears thins, and we, and we give up, if God was that kind of a being toward us, it would be un, it would be unthinkable. We need Him to be patient, and He is. He's patient and long suffering. Tell you something else about God. He is unchangeable. Do you ever have a boss on the job, and and you never knew what to expect from him? Uh, on the job. On one day, he, he is expecting you to do this in this way. And so you do it. And then, maybe the next day or the next week, you're busy doing the same thing that he told you to do and do it the same way he told you to do it. And he comes in and, and, and ridicules you for that. He, he comes and criticizes you. He comes and threatens you because of what you're doing and the way you do it. I'm doing what you said. Now, nah, that's not the way we do it anymore. So the rules get changed. You're right in the, in mid course. That's really that's really a tough situation if you've ever been in a case like that. But that's not the way it is with God. Again, thankfully, God is not like that. He is unchangeable. In James chapter one, verse seventeen, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. It's really important to know that God isn't going to change on us. And He's not going to change the rules for us unexpected, unexpectedly. God is unchangeable in that sense. We know that He is faithful. Well, if, if I challenged you to give a synonym for the word faithful, what word would you offer up? And there might be several. I think the word that would come to my mind first is the idea of dependable. Or maybe to use a phrase, we would say, can be counted upon. God is dependable. He can be counted upon. He is faithful. You can count on God in all situations. And that's a wonderful blessing. In Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah, remember here in in this context, Jeremiah is near the end of life. He he had successfully led the children of Israel under his uh, direction. They had conquered the promised land. Uh, he's old, and he's, his time of his passing is approaching. And so he gives some final words of admonition to the children of Israel. And he says here in Joshua 23, verse 14, beginning, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. And so Joshua saw fit to acknowledge and urged the children of Israel themselves to acknowledge that God had kept his promises. God always keeps his promises. Back to Israel under the Old Testament times, everything he said he would do for them, he did for them. Uh, and, and the same is true for us. Now, we're not under the same promises that they were. Our promises are actually better. We've been studying about that in the book of Hebrews here in our, our Sunday morning auditorium class. Our promises are better. God kept all the promises he made to Israel. What's he going to do for us? He's going to keep all his promises. God keeps his promises. God is faithful. He's dependable. He can be counted upon. All right. Look at, look at, so concerning the character of God, 
We've got a whole list, and my guess is you could probably add some other expressions there, but all of that is really good and positive, isn't it? It is so wonderful that we have a God like this, and in character He possesses these kinds of qualities. I tell you, we couldn't make it without that. We would be in a terrible, horrible situation without those positive kind of concepts that, that certainly describe the character of God. But, having said that, there's another side to the coin. And, and so having talked about all, all these good and positive and hopeful and great things about God, don't forget that there's another side to that. Don't neglect the full picture. You know, when you talk, when you think about these positive at, uh, character qualities that we've just described, if you just stop there, you might think of God sort of like a doting grandfather, you know. Uh, so here's this. I, I remember my grandfather, you know. Uh, we went fishing together. Uh, and uh, we enjoyed that time together. And uh, uh, my my grandfather was, I think he, he really appreciated our relationship I have to think that it would have been pretty hard for him to have said something disciplinary-wise toward me. Uh, I, I certainly needed discipline plenty of times, and, and my mom and dad were quick to give it. But I don't think my grandfather would. My grandfather, he was just, it was, he, he was just all positive toward me. Right? And so the idea of, the, of, of a dote, that's the idea of a doting grandfather. He doesn't see any bad. He only can see the good uh, in his grandchildren. And we might mistakenly draw the image of God in that way. He's like that grandfather. But don't forget that the scriptures give us the full picture here. And there's more to the picture. And and part of that picture is that God is a jealous God. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 5, You shall not worship them, talking about idols that in the land where they were going. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Joe, jealous, is that good? We're talking about God. I thought everything about God was good. Is jealousy a good thing? Well, in this sense it is. God is a jealous God. You know, there are some things to be jealous of. For instance, you husbands and your wives. What if you saw your wife and she was with another man? And she was obviously emotionally attached to this other man and and she enjoyed spending time with this other man and she was not with you or around you or associating with you she, she's your wife but she's spending all her time with another man what would you think of that well you'd be rightfully jealous of that you should be jealous of that it, it would be completely altogether appropriate to be jealous of that she's your wife she shouldn't be having that relationship with another man, right? Well, that's the sense in which God is jealous. He's a jealous God. He wants us to devote ourselves to Him, not to something else. Devote ourselves to Him in this context. Don't devote yourself to some idol in the land. I'm jealous of your devotion, is what He's saying here. And so that really is a part of God's loving nature. He loves us like a husband would love his wife and be jealous of her affections. 
He's jealous of our devotion and service. That's not a bad thing. That's a right thing. But we got to remember that. He is a jealous God. Furthermore, he's a God who, who can demonstrate wrath when it is deserved. He can become angry. Uh, but it's not a selfish anger. You know, it, usually when I get angry... My guess is this would be a fair description of you too. Usually when I get angry, it's because I didn't get something I wanted. Usually when I get angry, it's a selfish anger in which my interests have not been served. I'm mad because I didn't get my way. I'm mad because I didn't get what I want. So very often that's the basis of our anger. That's not the basis of God's anger or wrath. The basis of God's wrath is always when he perceives that we are acting in ways that are harmful to ourselves. Do you get that? He's not angry out of a selfish motivation. He's angry because he sees us acting in detriment to our own well-being. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So God, there is a wrath of God. It, 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 it's a righteous anger, and it's because he wants what's best for us, and he realizes we're not acting that way. But God can get angry, and we should be aware of that. We're not, he's not angry because we're hurting him. He's angry because we're hurting ourselves. And then the scriptures say that God is a severe God. He's a great, good, loving God. All of this that we set up here about his character, certainly under the broad general category of love, God is a great, good, loving God. But he is also severe in dealing with disobedience. In Romans chapter 11, verse 22, it says, Behold then the kindness, but also the severity of God. Behold the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you... God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. God's a severe God. He's severe toward those who are disobedient. Now, the Old Testament is ripe with examples of that, and we've studied them many times. If you know anything about your Bible, you can't just focus on his kindness, although it's incredible. You also have to be aware of the severity of God. There's some information about the God we serve. Uh, could you now, let me go back to the start. What if you were given the assignment, offer a good description of God? Well, it's still a pretty tough assignment, I think. Uh, because God is really the ultimate complex being, right? Uh, and, and, and some aspects of God are even almost incomprehensible to us. Uh, we can't fully grasp. You know, I, re- I really think that's the problem. We got, we, we're finite beings. We've got, we got finite minds. God is infinite. And so it's a little bit hard for the finite to comprehend the infinite. Uh, and so that's part of, of, of the problem. But clearly the scriptures reveal enough that we can know, love, and appreciate our God in heaven uh, as he has revealed himself to us through the inspired word. And when we take that picture that we get from the scriptures about God, then it should motivate us to serve him and to obey him. The great God of heaven, 
the one who has created all things, the one who has created us. We should love him and serve him and obey him. Really, any other thought as to how we would react to this God, it doesn't even make sense. It's not logical. If all that we've said about God is true, then the only reasonable response to that is learn his will and obey it. Have you done that? First of all, have you become a Christian? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we would hope that you'd make that decision. It may be that you need to talk about that more or discuss it or study more about that, and we'd be glad to assist you in that. But think about serving this great God in heaven. If you have already named his name, if you've already obeyed the gospel, but you have fallen back, then we urge you to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer because it doesn't make sense to continue in rebellion against this great God of heaven. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.